Hey guys, thanks for checking out our message this week. For more content like this, check out vineyardlive.us. If you are interested in getting to know more of who we are as a church, check out thevineyardchurch.us. Well, is there anything more cutthroat than some good old-fashioned sibling rivalry, right? The people who know us the best can cut the deepest, right? The jealousy, the competition, the fighting between brothers and sisters. Listen, there are six kids in my family, and growing up with that many brothers and sisters, I'll just tell you, Sibling rivalry, that's a legit thing. That is real. (laughs) We have four boys and two girls, which equates to six very different personalities and very different perspectives. And we have different opinions on just about everything, from COVID to religion to politics. We even have different opinions on animals. Let me tell you, all of my siblings own anywhere from one to 12, 12 pets. And I have a big fat zero, and I'm never going to have any, and don't throw stones at me. I love that you love your animals. I just don't want them in my house. So different opinions, different perspectives on just about anything. And I love them dearly, but sometimes I think, were we really raised in the same house by the same parents? We're so different. People are unique. And what I know is that God loves and celebrates his differences in creation. But us, we struggle, right? We don't love difference. No, differences challenge us, creates competition, creates us versus them. Almost always, where we have differences between people, judgment is looming around the corner. Typically, when there's a conflict, there's a critique. Let me tell you, six kids in the family, I promise you, there was so much conflict, which means there was lots and lots of critique. I was on Marco Polo this week with my sisters, with two of them. And if you don't know Marco Polo, it's like a video texting app. And I asked them the question, how did you experience me growing up? Like, I'm curious to know how me being present in the home actually changed the environment. And I know what you're thinking, Pastor Leah, filled with love and kindness. I know that's what it is, because you know, clearly me being present would bring joy to any household. No, not true, not, not even a little bit. In fact, one of my sisters said this when I asked, what was it like to live with me? And I quote, you were bossy. No, super bossy. And you, were, you made sure everybody knew you were smarter than them. And that's just how it was because you were pretty smart. Okay, I want to tell her, like, bossy, that's just another word for leader, but she clearly didn't get the memo, okay? <laughs> it doesn't always feel good when someone holds up a mirror. The question is, do we like what we see when we, when we look in that mirror? And more importantly, is Jesus reflected in that mirror? Are we seeing King Jesus? Because I'll be honest, I have not always loved what I see when I look in the mirror. I spent my childhood and most of my 20s living as a judgmental, religious, hate-filled Christian. Interesting that none of those adjectives actually describe Christ. You know, I, I've always struggled with two things. I felt the need to do two things. One, be right. And two, help keep everybody else right. Right? No, really. That means that my job, I, I wanted to help keep people in line. Make sure they knew the truth, that they're not living right. They're not behaving right. Here's the crazy thing. I don't read anywhere in Scripture that keeping people in line 
or making people follow all the religious rules is part of my job description as a follower of Jesus. This is our job description, straight from the mouth of King Jesus, as he tells his disciples in John 13. He says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world you are my disciples. What is the one thing Jesus asks us to do as disciples? He didn't say it's your job to keep everybody in line. It's your job to become the sin police. The one thing he asks is that we would love one another. Why is love so important to God? Because it's who he is. God is love. And when he asks us to love people, he's saying, could you help connect people to that love? See, this connection thing, it's really, really important. And I didn't understand it. I didn't understand connection. Connection was never my goal. When I saw someone who was missing it, when I saw someone who was living in sin, I would much, much, much rather critique than connect. Connection wasn't the goal. When my family was blowing it, when they found themselves living recklessly, when they were living in a way that was completely unconcerned with any of the consequences, you can bet your bottom dollar I was the first one to point out their mistake. I didn't care about my connection with them. I cared about them behaving right. And I don't think I'm alone in this. We've been in a series called Reckless Love where we're exploring what it really means to live out Jesus' radical command to love all people, including our enemies. What does that look like? Our key text is found in Luke 6. It says, but to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. And Julie shared week one that great phrase about enemy love, right? So good. Brandon shared last week that one of the ways that we love is that we engage, we don't ignore. And today we're gonna go a little deeper down the path of love. When we see people living in a way that is not God's best for their life, when we see them living in sin, when we see them living recklessly, what should our response be? Today, we're gonna to learn that reckless living requires reckless love. And the way we live that out is by choosing to bless, not curse. Would you pray with me? Father, we just welcome you to really teach us how to become love. Father, you are our teacher. Show us what we don't see. We wanna only do what you're doing, Father. So we just welcome you here right now. Open our hearts to receive your message. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's a great parable in the book of Luke that il illustrates a little bit of the sibling rivalry that we were kind of touching on earlier. Some healthy competition, maybe a little name calling, you know, a little judgment. And I love that Jesus teaches his disciples in the form of stories, in the form of parables, because it's, his, it's the easiest way for him to get a really difficult kingdom principle across. And what I love is in Luke 14, he is telling like, parable after parable after parable. It's literally like, hey, you guys aren't getting this, so listen up, right? So that's, that's 14. 15, there are more parables. And today, today we're going to look at the parable of the prodigal son, which is one you might be familiar with. But we're going to look at what reckless love looks like as we check this story out. So we're going to start in verse 11. And if you're not familiar with the story, I'm just going to tell you parts of it, and we'll dig into the text a little later. Um, so Jesus is telling his disciples this story, and he says, look, there's a man who has two 
sons. And the younger son comes to the father and he asks for his inheritance early. Now, this is a bold move to ask for an early inheritance, specifically in the Middle Eastern culture that this story was written in. It was a legit offense for the son to come to the father and say, I want my inheritance. He's basically saying, yo, pops, I wish you were dead. Like, give me your money, I'm out. Like, not cool. So it it was a very offensive thing that he did. So we can kind of think like, well, what was this brother like? Maybe you have one of these in your family. Don't raise your hand. Maybe maybe one of those brothers who's always kind of doing whatever they want, disrespecting the family, disrespecting the dad disrespecting culture, kind of a tool, right? That was this brother, real pain. What surprises me is that the father actually gives him what he asks for. The father divides the property between both sons and he gives both sons an early inheritance. And now if you're me, you're looking at this story and you're going, boy, that's some bad parenting. Right? That's really stupid, actually. Like, clearly, this kid is too young, and he's so disrespectful. Like, why is he going to do that? And I can imagine that the older brother was thinking the same thing, right? Like, come on, Dad, what are you doing? You, you know Joey's so irresponsible. We don't know his name is Joey, by the way, but I'm calling him Joey because it makes it a little easier. So Joey's the younger brother. So you know Joey's so irresponsible. You know he's just going to blow that. What are you doing, Dad? But the father decides to do it anyway. And he lives generously and he opens his hands and he gives freely to both sons. In fact, in verse 12, the Greek literally is translated, he gave them his life. He gave, the father gave everything to his sons. And so if you know the story, you know little Joey packs up his bags and he sets out on his adventure of a lifetime. He's got his dollars, he's got his little pack. And when I picture this part of the story, you know what I'm thinking? Joey's heading to Vegas, right? That's kind of what is in my mind. It's not in the text, but you can just imagine, right? So Joey's heading to Vegas. Adventure of a lifetime. What do you think the older brother is thinking? How do you think his heart is towards his brother? The text doesn't actually tell us, but I can imagine like a true firstborn, he's mad, right? He's probably feeling a little self-righteous, angry, preparing this whole I told you so speech for his dad. Like, told you Joey's gonna do something like this. He's always messing things up for this family. Like, what do, I can't believe you did this, dad. Right, he's rehearsing this, I can feel it. And the older brother, he's not wrong about what is happening, but he is wrong about his response to what is happening. And we're gonna come back to this in just a little bit. So, little Joey, he heads out. In the Passion Translation, the scripture says this, he soon wasted all he was given in a binge of extravagant and reckless living i.e. Vegas, baby, right? (laughs) He partied it up, he sowed some wild oats, he was reckless. He acted without paying attention to the consequences of his actions and his reckless living costs him dearly. There ends up being a famine in the land and at this point, Joey has blown through all of his money so he has nothing left. He finds himself starving and he's like, I gotta find a job. So he finds a farmer. The farmer hires him to take care of the pigs. Woo, okay? He's so broke, he's so starving, he actually considers eating the food that the pigs are eating, the slop. This is like rock bottom, lower of the low, like this is, you don't get any lower than this, right? And he has this aha moment. He's sitting there and he's thinking, look man, people work for my dad and they're treated way better than this. I I know, I'm just gonna ask my dad to hire me. If only I could work for him, it would be great. I wouldn't be starving, it would be so much better. I know he'll never accept me as a son, but, 
but I got to go home. I, I know I just got to fall at his feet, beg for mercy. And so he starts like rehearsing this speech over and over again in his mind, right? Father, I was wrong. I've sinned against you. I'll never be worthy to be called your son. Father, please just treat me like one of your employees. So he works up his courage. And we're going to pick it up here in verse 20. So, so the young son sets off for home. From a long distance away, his father saw him coming, dressed as a beggar. Think about that. Your kid dressed as a beggar. And great compassion, hear those words, great compassion swelled up in his heart for his son who was returning home. So the father raced out to meet him and he swept him up in his arms and he hugged him dearly, kissed him all over with tender love. Do you do that with your babies? Do you ever just like smush their face with kisses? I do. They're getting a little old for it, but I do it anyway. The son says, he starts his speech, right? He's been practicing. Father, I was wrong. I've sinned against you. I could never deserve to be called your son. Just let me be. The father interrupts him. He says, son, you're home now. Oh, you can feel the love ooze out of this text. So he begins to tell the servants, man, bring out the best robe, bring the ring, the, the seal of sonship, and prepare this great feast. We are celebrating. My son is home. And so everybody starts having a party. Everybody except older brother. The text tells us he's out in the fields working like a good son does. And he's, he's coming back. He's tired. He's hungry. He's, you know, probably a little dirty from working out in the fields. And he walks up on the scene and he, oh, he hears music. Oh, there's some dancing. Oh, we're having a party. All right. Like, yay, party. I didn't get the memo, but okay. And so he, he grabs one of the servants. He's like, what's going on? What, what are we doing? And this part I read into, because we all read the Bible through our own personal lens, let's be honest. This is, this is the, what I read. <laughs> this is the, the verse in 27. It says, well, it's your younger brother. I bet they were friends, right? Besties. Well, he's returned home. Your, your father's throwing him a party to celebrate his homecoming. So, like eye rolls, anger, you can feel it. Why? Because the next verse tells us how the brother responds. He says, the older son became angry. And he refused to go in and celebrate. So his father comes out and he pleads with him, come, come on, like come enjoy the feast with us. And the son said, father, listen. Come at me, kid, right? How many years have I been working like a slave for you, performing every duty you've asked as a faithful son and never once have I disobeyed you? but you've never thrown a party for me because of my faithfulness. Never once have you even given me a goat that I could feast on and celebrate with my friends like he's doing now, but look at this son of yours. I love when people do that. <laughs> son of yours. He comes back after wasting your wealth on prostitutes and reckless living, and here you are throwing a great feast to celebrate for him. And the father says, my son, you are always with me by my side. Everything I have is yours to enjoy. It's only right to celebrate like this and be overjoyed because the brother of yours, he puts it back on him, like remember he's yours too, was once dead and gone, but now he is alive and back with us. He was lost, but now he is found. And there are so many good and deep principles in this story. And so many times when we read this parable, we really put the focus on Joey. We're like, Joey messed up, Joey went out, but thank goodness Joey was saved. And that's all true and good and wonderful. But for today, we are looking at what reckless love looks like. Who in this story modeled reckless love? What opportunity did the father and the older brother have to bless and not curse? 
we're actually gonna take a moment and talk about this, this bless, not curse thing. So at Luke 6, 28, we said, bless those who curse you. And if you have access to the chat right now, why don't you just drop in, bless, don't curse. Bless, don't curse. What does it mean to bless someone? And what does it mean to curse? When we bless someone, by definition, we are asking God to look favorably upon them. That's a blessing. And it is very hard to ask God to look favorably upon someone you do not love. Most of the time, we don't love people because we don't like how they are behaving. I can't love people if I don't approve of their behavior, right? So I, I can't love people who are divorced. It's gonna get awkward. I can't love LGBTQ people. I, I can't love that family member who keeps asking me for money. I can't love junkies. I can't love pious religious people. I can't love, you get to fill that in. I can't love because I don't approve of their behavior. As followers of Jesus, we are called to love recklessly, which means we bless without being concerned about the consequence. We bless, we, don't, we ask God to look favorably upon someone not based on their performance. In fact, actually, there's no behavior requirement for a blessing because blessings can't be earned. You can't earn them. You know what this sounds like? The gospel. While we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. He loved us recklessly. And he blesses us. He asks God to look favorably upon us and that blessing never hinged on my behavior, right? It all is about his goodness and his love and his mercy and his grace. He's so faithful. That is the gospel. That's the story that saved me. That's the story that saved you. And the only way we can actually bless is if we understand that Jesus blessed us first. He loved us first. And some of you listening right now, you've never received this kind of love. Man, wherever you're listening, if you want to learn more about the way Jesus loves you, I want you to just drop the, word, drop the word Jesus in the chat right now, and one of our team members is going to share with you. He loves you so much. He knows your name. He's crazy about you. We want to share about that love. And once we know and receive that love, that is when we can love others. That is when we can bless and not curse. And reckless love means that we bless regardless of the circumstance, the, the consequence, I mean. We bless without boundary. We can because that's how we were blessed. Now the root, the driver of blessing is compassion. Remember I said pay attention to that word, compassion? Which means you can't bless someone if your heart is in the wrong place. If you don't love, you can't bless. And I think some of you are feeling this internal wrestle right now, like, oh, this is great, Leah, like, I wanna have compassion, but I don't want people to think that I agree with their behavior. We hear this a lot in the church. Like, if I ask God to bless them, then I'm blessing their sinful choices. Think about the many, many, many times Jesus came into contact with men and women who were living recklessly. He certainly doesn't condone sinful behavior, right? He's Jesus. <laughs> we know that sinful behavior will lead to a destructive life for you. It's not best for your life. And sin comes with real consequences. But the attention is rarely put on the behavior and it's mostly put on the person, right? So Jesus is not critiquing, he's connecting. Connection is the goal. That is his goal, is to restore connection with the person. So we can love like Jesus loves because we have been loved that way. It's never about our behavior, our performance. He's just crazy about us. And because of what he did on the cross, we can now love other people too. 
We can be rooted in compassion and we can look favorably upon people. We can bless them even when we don't agree with their behavior. That's blessing. Now the flip side, we have cursing. I always think of like those shows I don't let my kids watch with like a little magic wand. I'm like, cursing. It's not actually it, okay. (laughs) Cursing by definition is we are willing a supernatural power to invoke punishment on someone. Where the driver of blessing is compassion, the driver of cursing is judgment. So if you've ever thought or said out loud, well, they got what they deserved, that's cursing. We focus on the punishment, willing invoked punishment onto someone. And when the scripture tells us to bless and not curse, what the Father is saying is let yourself so be rooted in love and compassion toward one another. Don't curse. Don't allow judgment and the need for someone to be punished, to to pay for what they've done. Don't let that take root in your heart. It goes against the grain of the gospel. It's not Jesus. Bless, don't curse. Connect, don't critique. And in the parable, the older brother chooses to curse instead of bless. And you might think that's kind of a harsh assessment of the older brother, right? But let's look back at his behavior, shall we? The older brother let judgment be the driver of his relationships. Think about it. He judges his dad for giving away the inheritance in the first place. He judges Joey for running off and heading to Vegas. He judges his dad again when he extends forgiveness, grace, and mercy to Joey. And then he judges him again when he's like, you're too, you're too kind here, but you were stingy with me. Like, where's my party? Judge, 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 judge. Cursing is rooted in judgment. And you know the kind of stuff judgment will produce in your life? The fruit of judgment? Anger, bitterness, hatred, complaining, assumption, jealousy, pride. This is dark stuff. It will ruin your life. If you let judgment judgment poison your heart, it will destroy you. Don't let judgment take place in your heart. These are heart issues. The older brother, listen, this is where it's hard because it looks on the outside like everything is good, right? The older brother, he's doing all the right things. He stayed home, he worked for his dad, he obeyed, he followed all the rules. But in reality, he was working quietly away on his father's estate, actually waiting for his dad to die so he could get everything. And when the oldest son heard that the father had reinstated Joey to the family and to the rest of the inheritance, we see his true colors. It's like the mask of the good, faithful son falls off and it reveals an angry son who is bitterly offended that the father would extend forgiveness to his brother and reinstate him into the family. Why is he so mad? Honestly, he felt like he had earned his inheritance as a good, faithful son. I earned it. This parable reveals that both brothers have missed the mark. Both brothers were walking in sin. How do we know? Both brothers were disconnected from their father. This is what sin does. This is what reckless living does. This is what judgment does. It disconnects you from a real, authentic, intimate relationship with the father. And it's not because the father has gone anywhere. He hasn't turned away. He hasn't left you. It's because we turn away. We say, no, we know best. We do what we want. And so obvious with Joey. He literally was like, peace, I'm out. Like, but the older brother, it didn't look quite that way. He was in close proximity to the father and yet he was still disconnected. 
pay attention to this. Because this is a very dangerous trap for us church people. We can look like we have it all good on the outside. We can look like we're following all the rules as a righteous son and daughter. It can look like we are in close proximity. We show up to the church, right? We can do all the right things, and yet we can still be disconnected from the Father. How do we know that he was disconnected? He didn't trust his dad. He didn't trust him, ever. He valued his opinion over his dad's opinion. He didn't trust him, and that's actually the root of all sin, distrust, right? If we really loved the Father, we would do what he tells us. Not because it's about following all the rules, it's because following his best will produce life in us. It's not about obedience, it's about life and coming into alignment with what he says is best for our lives. The older brother was living in some sneaky sin, super covert, but man, he was poisoned by judgment. And church, we need to pause and make sure that the enemy has not poisoned our hearts with judgment. Check your heart, look around. You see any anger, little bitterness, little hatred, little complaining? Judgment. Lord, set us free. There's a better way to live. We are called to bless and not curse. And the only way we can do this is if Holy Spirit changes our hearts. Holy Spirit, change our hearts. Show us what we don't see. We want to see things the way you see them, Lord. And look, I understand there's a lot of reckless living out there. I get this, right? I get that. But we tend to be more focused on someone else's reckless living than on my reckless love. And it's not God's best. I can't be responsible for someone else's mistakes, actually. I can't. But I can be responsible for how I treat them in the midst of it. I know this. Reckless living requires reckless love. Reckless living requires reckless love. If you really care about someone, if you see them heading down a path that is not God's best for their life, you gotta try loving recklessly. Lean in, seek to understand. Let compassion be your driver. Connect, don't critique. The father in the story, he loved recklessly, right? So much so that if I'm being honest, I think that's insane. Like it goes against every logical bone in your body. It really, really does, right? He gives generously even when he knows it's gonna be squandered. When the son comes home, he doesn't, he, he runs with open arms, just picture it. He runs with open arms. Interesting to me that he wouldn't even let his son finish the apology. It seems to be he was more focused on the connection than the disobedience. He cared more about the relationship than what he did. But we are really good at prioritizing obedience over connection, over critiquing instead of connecting. And we often find ourselves caring more about protecting the inheritance than we do about people. Right, church people? We love to carry offense for God. We love it. We feel this deep responsibility. Well, someone needs to tell them. We have to make sure that the people obey. They're not following the rules, right? It's not our, ours to manage. We actually don't have to carry the responsibility or the weight of protecting the inheritance. The father's a big boy, and he knows what he's doing. And if you don't agree with what he says, you need to ask him to change your heart. He knew his sons. He knew him. He's a good father, right? He knows the oldest son, firstborn, right? He knew he was, wasn't going to do anything. He knew he was going to follow all the rules. And he knew Joey. He knew him. And still he gave. 
Our job is not to protect the inheritance, but to help connect people with the Father. And remember, when we are in relationship with the Father, everything he has is ours. That means we are on site, the mansion, the servants, the, the, like all the food, everything he has is ours and we get to live in relationship with the Father. That is the joy of being connected with the Father. We have to remember inheritance isn't earned, it's a free gift that comes all through Jesus and we get to walk it out as we live in relationship with him. And I'm gonna tell you, most of my life, really good at living like the older brother. I told you a little bit in the beginning, um, I was a good church kid, right? Followed all the rules. Deep down, honestly, kind of believed I earned my inheritance. I did it right, right? But judgment was poisoning my heart. You guys, I cared so much more about people following the rules and not making any mistakes. I did not understand grace. I did not understand Jesus. Judgment was messing up my life. And again, if you have these things in your life, anger, bitterness, hatred, if they start popping up, judgment. Ask the, the Father to remove it. I, I've asked him repeatedly through the years, take me on a journey, Lord. Show me what I don't see. I want to see things the way you see them. And I tell you this, if you ask him, he will show you. I had a, I had a powerful encounter with the Lord when I was in college. I went to the U of I, and I worked at Biagi's as a server to help pay for that school. I'll never forget this moment because it marked me so much. Again, I lived with, well, you got to follow the rules, got to follow the rules, you're not doing it right, right? And I went into work on a Saturday, and all the servers, if you have ever served before, you know there's, um, well, there's a lot of reckless living among staff. It's just kind of what happens. And so we, we, I was in the kitchen, and they were all talking about what they had done last night, this party. And one of the servers was bragging that he had hooked up with three of the girls, three of the other servers. If your eyebrows went up, you're exactly where I was, okay? And I'm going to tell you, the things that went through my brain, I can't even say now because kids are probably listening, wasn't good. I mean, just think about it. dirty, immoral. Gosh, get it together. Like, that's so disgusting. Like, have some self-respect. These are the things that are going through my brain. And I'll never forget. I'm standing in the kitchen, and I pushed, pushed through that door to go out, and I felt the Father say, Those are my kids. Stop talking about them that way. Because this is the heart of the Father. He loves his creation. They, don't even, they didn't even know him, but he is pursuing them because he loves his creation. He loves people. And if you are more concerned about someone's behavior than who they are, you don't understand the heart of Jesus. He came so that we, because of our bad behavior, we, that wouldn't be an issue for us being in relationship with him. Connection is the goal. Love is the goal. It's not about following all the rules and doing it all right. It's that we would lean in so that we can point them to love. Point them to Jesus. You guys, we want people to not live recklessly. Hear me say this. I want freedom for every person. When you sin, you are living in bondage, not freedom. You think you're heading out to Vegas and it's actually gonna mess your life up. You're gonna eat slop with the pigs. But our job as believers is that we lean in. Our job is that we pursue connection, that we're not worried about critiquing. He loves his people. He's crazy about them. And our one job, the one thing we're called to do is to love recklessly. And I think some of us, we've been trapped in... It's actually very hard, I think, for us to bless and to give away the love that God has given us because we actually haven't received it. Some of you listening right now, you're like, how can I not judge them because all I do is judge me? 
It's like when we fill in those blanks, I can't love. You're saying, I can't love me. I know where I've been. I know what I've done. I know what I thought 10 minutes ago. And if that's you, just like wherever you are, would you just put your hands out or put them on your heart? I just want to pray right now because God never shames. And if you're feeling shame right now, that's not from the Lord, it's from the enemy. And so we just break off the power of shame right now in Jesus' name. And Father, would you, would you come right now and show us what we don't see? God, would you teach us how to have love bubble up inside of us for ourselves first? Help us see that we're your beautiful masterpiece of so much worth and value to you. Thank you for pursuing us individually. And Father, I thank you that once we understand that love, we're gonna start giving it away. For some of you, judgment has just become like this ticker tape in your head. And it's not only a judgment of yourself, like, oh, shouldn't have said that. You, you know, there are like classic overthinkers where they're like, I, I can't believe I said that or did, did I do that? I mean, it's like ticker tape. We just speak like clarity to the mind, but Father, I want us only now to be thinking your thoughts. And if there's any thought in me that does not line up with your thoughts about someone, we just take that thought captive in Jesus' name. Father, I pray that this week, as, as the thoughts come, as the interactions with people come, God, I pray that you would help us, Holy Spirit, to see what you see. Holy Spirit, we want to do what you are doing. We wanna partner with you. We wanna bless, we don't want to curse. And if there's any part of us that ends up thinking in a judgmental way, God, would you break that in Jesus' name? It's sneaky, but we don't wanna live that way. We don't want those things to take root in our hearts. And so we just give you our minds, Lord. We give you our hearts. We give you all of our interactions. Father, I thank you that you're gonna show us this week how we can bless and not curse as we choose to connect and not critique, Lord. We love you so much and we pray all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for checking out this message. We also have many messages available on vineyardlive.us. Get access to exclusive content when you sign up for the Vineyard Live Plus community. This allows you to watch our past conferences, trainings, and special teachings.